Keep still. All right, now get up on your knees. Put your hands in your pockets. Keep them there. Red wine with fish. Well, that should have told me something. Expect me to talk? James Bond, hosted by Becca, Dave, and Chris. This is episode number three, and this time we're talking about the second Bond movie from Russia with Love, starring Sean Connery and directed by Terence Young, and released in 1962. Except it was 1963. Yeah, I know. We'll leave that in, go on. <laughs> 1963. So, what's the next part of it? <laughs> um... So she's introduced us, she's introduced the podcast. Last week you spoke next, Chris, I think. So, so basically we're doing uh, From Russia with Love. Uh, the, uh, the the second uh, Bond movie. Um, so what do you guys think of this? I mean, I think out of all the Connerys, this is actually my personal favourite. Uh, and it's Connery's favourite. And Terence Young's favourite too. And John F. Kennedy's. Too. And John F. Kennedy's, but he he was he wasn't he wasn't part of the casting crew. Admitted. No, he wasn't. But yeah, this um routinely tops the list of top ten favorite Bond films and books. And I think, and it's, it, and it's quite weird because it's not it, it, out of all. I say probably out of all the Bond films, particularly Connery's, it's the one that's least structured like a Bond film. It's the one that feels less kind of traditional. Which is kind of which is slightly odd in the, when it comes to the Bond franchise, but yeah, it it mm. it's still like Connery's best, you'd I think. You would you'd expect them to be moving closer to formula, but yeah, actually taking a step further away. Yeah, yeah. I think Doctor they... No last week, with with one exception, certainly the opening of the film, we're starting to head towards the traditional sort of Bond. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it opens with Gun Barrel, and then it, and it has a, like a title sequence, and uh, it it kind of has like a. The it was the James Bond theme, and then it goes into like a like a you know a what you call it, belly dancing music. I love the way it goes into that theme because yeah. it actually that must have been so exciting for audiences in '63. It was amazing. Completely no TV, no DVDs, amazing. nothing like that. They won't have seen it since theaters the year before, and then suddenly it just crashes into it. You've had a pre-title sequence with a with a fake out. Where basically, for those who've not seen it, Sean Connery is in a garden on what we later find out is Spectre Island. (laughs) Which is like gardens at Pinewood Studios. Yeah, uh, it's just. Yeah, fun fact, but it's actually Heatherden Hall, which was Pinewood Studios. (laughs) The first time you see Sean Connery, something is slightly off. He's he's kind of. He looks over made up, he's very pale. And he's got sort of very, very pink lips. Yeah, yeah. And it's basically because. It's a mask. It's a mask. It, it's Sean Connery. I mean, like, I mean, it is actually Sean Connery acting. I mean, there's no question about that. And one of the things I, I kind of picked up on was actually, uh, we don't think of Sean Connery as a good actor. You know, we think we see him more as a movie star. 
but I think he actually acted really well in this, seeing that he's playing like someone who's pretending to be Bond, and he's not very Bond-like, actually. If you actually look uh, how no, he moves... He looks extremely nervous during the sequence. Yeah, yeah he, he doesn't even... He, he moves differently. He moves like a different man, which I thought, oh, well, good on you. You actually are acting, you know? <laughs> You're actually <laughs> guessing in the role of someone else. It's quite, yeah, I thought I was, quite, I was actually mildly impressed, you know. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah, as I say, it said at night, it ends up with Bond, be, Bond in inverted commas, being strank garroted by... Quint. Brand. <laughs> Quint from Jaws. <laughs> Unrecognisable if you don't know. If you, I, I think if you, if you watch Jaws and then watch this, I don't think you'd immediately re- recognise it as the same guy. He's very young in this, isn't he? Yeah, well, he, he, looks young. he would have been about thirty-six, something like yeah. that. Yeah, he's, he's in peak physical condition. Yes, he is. Um, uh, yeah, so we then he and it's, Sorry. it's it starts the sort of trend of Aryan henchmen, and um, obviously the sequence ends with a mask being lifted off the face of the dead man, and uh, it, it was all a training exercise for Spectre. And it really sets up, not only do we crash into the credit sequence musically, but we've also set up this film is, I mean, they say we've never had a Bond sequel until Quantum of Solace. It is linked to Dr. No. They they sell this very much as them trying to get revenge for what he did to Dr. No in the previous film. It even carries on because you see the, um, oh, Sylvia Trench. Um, Yeah, yes. That was going to be a running theme for all of them, wasn't it? Yeah, it was going to be like him. it was always going to be like the girl who's like who's on a date with, and he always gets called away. Mm. It's like oh, they near they, they nearly do something, or he's always like with with her, and it's like oh, M's calling. Sorry, she's you know. signed for six. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, this is a second and last appearance. I, I, we, what, what do we what do we make? I mean, like, do, are, are we sad? Are we glad that this didn't become like a regular thing? I, I don't think it lasted long enough for us to really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I mean, they, they, they could, I mean it, had it gone on much longer, it might well have become one of the series tropes. Mm. That you know, that sort of. See, I'm trying inter- to interrupting his date with whoever the Bond. Yeah, I see. I'm trying to picture. I'm trying to picture who. Um, if if like if even if it got to like now with like, it was like Brosnan or Craig, you know, and it was still like. Like still trying to have a date with Sylvia Trench is like would that still work by like today's standards? I don't, no. <laughs> I don't think so. No. I, the, the the thing I always note of no, the things I always note about the the Sylvia Trench scene are the Bentley because the Bentley was his was his car in the books, mm. um, and also it had a car phone which must have been phenomenally flash uh, high tech and exciting at the time. Very high tech. So yeah, he's he's called he's called in. Through his car phone. Yeah. See, Bond's setting, you know, the trends for the technology of today. And then in Goldfinger, you have the GPS, or kind of a very first GPS of a, of a sort. Fucking hell, Bond, Bond's just been inventing everything, hasn't he, really? <laughs> Q-Branch. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've never seen him use a disposable barbecue, though. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he, he, he's caught... He's ca- he's called in via his phone, and that's uh, by his phone, and that's the last we see of Sylvia Trench, having been signed for six films. And I and I do wonder, without stepping on the toes of next week too much, it's because we have a change of director next week. I pro I would that's guess, really yeah, I'd guess that because he dropped that. So I, I I mean I don't know that for certain, but 
possibly had Terence Young directed Goldfinger, we may have seen her again. I agree, but then also you have the camaraderie between Bond and Moneypenny as well. So whether that carried on, had Bond had you know a date du jour at the start of each film? So. Uh, yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> Did I just an idea? <laughs> well, I have like oh, like Bond always going on a date with Moneypenny. Mm. Uh, That'd be good. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like there was always like I, I, I didn't. I don't think I talked about this last week, but there was like this. Um, like I think uh, Lois Maxwell talked about like uh, they actually had a backstory for Bond and Moneypenny and they, and and they, and they did have yes. like they did actually have a well they, they they made up like their own history that isn't actually in the film but it's what they go to act with and it's like oh we, they did have this thing but it came to the point where she didn't want to fall in love with uh, someone like him because he knew that it, the job will always come first. Uh, or, or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah the idea is that they had, they had a, tr- a trust in this sort of country cottage, didn't they? And then, yeah. yes, she didn't want to fall in love with him, and then he didn't want to let himself fall in love with her because mm. he'd, he'd break her heart. And you think, oh, that's the kind of backstory going on there, and that's why you see this great <laughs> song between them. Yeah, I, I love the story. The only detail of it I'm not that fond of, although it stands out like a sore thumb, is um, she says something along the lines of, you know, when she was a lowly typist and he was working in the tea room or something. <laughs> And, and I just thought MI6 were um, <laughs> to make the tea. I, know, I, I just picture a Connery and a Penny, just like. <laughs> this isn't how I imagined the Secret Service, damn me. Biscuits? <laughs> Biscuits, anybody? <laughs> Biscuits. Yeah. Milk? Sugar? <laughs> I remember once watching it, well, I, was, I was sat reading like a magazine or something and the TV was on and this shockingly awful Sean Connery impression came to like, I noticed them, you know, I just thought, who the hell is that? And when I looked up, it was Sean Connery. So oh. Sean Connery does a really <laughs> shit impression of himself. Oh no, he probably sends, sends himself up now. His voice has changed quite a lot over the years, to be fair. But, uh, so I think the most recent thing he's done is like the Sir Billy animations, where he's like a Highland vet. Yeah, and, um, he retired yeah, from acting he's... after. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. It's just a shame. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was his last live-action film. That's... Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that at the cinema and thinking, oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, he thought that oh, as well. Didn't get on with the director, never made another film. He no, has a history of that in later years. I mean, he didn't make a film for three years after Never Say Never Again because he didn't enjoy it. There's a couple of, of such sort of gaps in his career where he just has he didn't get on, so. mm. but I gather he, he might have enjoyed I know Never Say Never Again more than he did Thunderball but I say we'll discuss that when we actually come to Thunderball I guess but that's that's another two episodes away so uh, where, where we start? yeah so From Russia Love starts with the uh, Gumball opening scene and uh, Silver Trench uh, last appearance um, it, it, it's kind of odd because actually there's actually like it's uh, we had to it takes a, a, quite a while for us to actually to get to Bond itself because actually the the first like ten minutes or so is literally just Spectre just setting up their plan and and introducing them there introducing Blofeld and then and seeing White Kronstein hmm Kronstein as well oh yeah what the master chess player is yes. yeah which is it's kind of weird because it kind of feels like of all the Bond villains in this. Uh, film, which are actually quite a few. It's like it's kind of a nice little collective. He's the one that feels like it easily been cut out. I mean, like, well, 
we, 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 okay, fine. It was his plan, but let's face it, we could have just had Blofeld be, make the plan. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. Did anyone... Uh, the, we have actually seen Blofeld already in this series. The, yeah. The body uh, of Blofeld, not the voice, but the body... President. Professor Dent yeah. from last week, the the geologist who put the uh, um, tarantula in Bond's bed. Did you see his hands and like the back of his head? You see the hands at the back of his head. Blofeld does have hair in this film. Yeah, he does. Um, and then you have to wait a while. Got some bald chaps. The Kronstein scene. The scene is another um, really good set, and it's a, it's the first sign of a vastly in, well an increase but a doubled budget this time. Uh, the last two million. Two million instead of one million dollars. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that set cost three hundred thousand to make the chess room for about two minutes of screen time. Jeez, it's a lot of money. Jeez, it's an enormous amount of money, and uh, I mean the, the top part of it's matte painting. But again, uh, uh, immediately we can see there's a bit more money to play with. Well, the whole film is a bit more like bolder as well. Cause you got, I mean, I'm we're watching it now. It's um, you know coming from Doctor No. Um, it does feel like a lot more like well, let's let's be a little bit more brave when we're on our decisions. You know, it's like well, ha- yeah, we'll have the gun battle and we'll, we'll we'll play all these new things. So it's very much feels like it's very much confident in itself. Um, it's more it's more up, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's just I, I think that's what it just adds to the enjoyment of it because it's just mm-hmm. so like yeah, we're we're doing straight in. It's a really it's got we've got a plot. You know, um, it, it feels like a spy film. It does generally feel like a spy film. It's uh, a cold, cold war yeah. thriller, it's isn't it? A bit of revenge, uh, yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's good. I mean, I I think I think it's probably Connery's best performance as Bond. But I guess I I, I mean I say that after not rewatching the others. But um, yeah, I think he's Connery's greatness. I, I kind of go a bit back and forward on on Connery's best performance in this role. Certainly. I've always really liked him in the first half of of, of Doctor No, but um, yeah, I, I I will I will make different different cases each week for 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 things he did well in in each film. Actually, I mean, when we get the Thunderball, I've got some some you know certainly some observations about what a physical performance it is, but um, yeah, I think I think this is probably the most balanced performance. There's there's scenes we'll get to later, which although they they make me feel a little bit uncomfortable, a couple of the scenes on the on the Orient Express. I think I know which scenes you're referring there are, to. There's Dave. one scene in particular where he's he's doing some of the best work of his career. So yeah, you, you talk of the, the you talk of the plot. Actually, we, we again it's elements we see a, again through the series. The sort of it, it is a MacGuffin really. They they want uh, they're, they're after the the lector. The, the lector. Yeah, that's the one. Which is actually called the Spectre in the book. It is. Ah. <laughs> yeah, but of course the villains were were smirch in the books. This was before Spectre had even so, been thought of. Is there a reason why they weren't called Smirsh, or is that because it was Russia? It's yeah, that, that, was, that was like Russia. the real-life anti-spy mm. kind of, um, Russian vehicle, and then they kind of moved it to the more kind of Spectre, who was still villainous, but obviously in the middle, so they could play Russia and you know East and West off against okay. each other. So, um, so just to get me clear, because I have not read the books, and I might mm. be... Mis- oh. But Blofeld, is he in charge of Smirsh or is Spectre thing no. in the books? No, Blo- Blofeld comes along. There's basically a, a, a Spectre trilogy, if you like, of books. You've got, uh, um, I think it goes Majesties, then you only live twice, then. What's the last one? No, doesn't he. 
But yeah, there's a Spectre trilogy later on. Basically, Majesties is something like no, it's Thunderbolt. It's Thunderbolt, Majesties, and you only twice because it's sorry. Yeah, no, it it confused me because that's right. You're right because we'll get to that again in a couple of weeks' time. Because how the hell did I not remember that was Thunderbolt? Thunderbolt was the whole reasoning behind the lawsuits over Blofeld and everything. Sorry, yeah, it was Thunderbolt, then Majesties, then you only live twice. Um, and that, that I think Thunderball is something like the seventh or eighth book. Mm. So we're quite a way down the line from this one. This book comes just before Doctor No, funnily enough. And the thing I recall, you mentioned very, you mentioned sort of at the top of the podcast that we don't see Bond for a while. No, that's true in the book as well. But the, it is a very, very faithful adaptation of the ones I've read, and I, I'm still missing two or three at the end. From Russia with Love was comfortably my favourite book. It's easy to know why, because it's, it's quite a good, solid plot as well. It works on the page. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Took the words right out of my mouth. But I, I reckon in the book, the whole relationship between um, the... I forgot her name. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, uh, what's, it, what's it again? Uh, Tanya. Or, uh, Tatiana. Tatiana. Yeah, the relationship with Tatiana... Um, I reckon that plays a, in the book that reads like a little bit more like oh, you don't quite know if he can trust her or not but how much he's playing her in the film it kind of just feels like she just falls over him instantly in a kind of weird kind of way um, and mm-hmm. particularly when we get to the scene in training she's pretty much like like oh James <laughs> protect me Will Will you know which um yeah. In in the book, it's it's worth reading the scene where she's given the assignment by Caleb. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Um, simply because the, the the film kind of slightly hints that Caleb might be a lesbian. Yeah, it's, it's very creepy. But in the book, it's kind of in, in the book, explicit. she flat out is. It's the same as Pussy Galore as well. That's yeah. much more explicit in the book but as well. Much, That's made much more obvious. Yeah. I, I think it's definitely there. It's just they don't obviously. I mean, in, in the book, you can kind of like you, you describe things a lot more, but. Um, uh, but in here, it's like he instantly tells when one of the the men in, uh, from Spectre like just just touches like her in the arm in like in the slightest yeah, way. Really she's kind of like, Ugh, what's that? But then in the next scene where she's like talking to Tatiana, she's like she's there like sort of touched her leg and go, oh okay, and then uh, yeah, and then just like the yeah, and just like always in, in the book she flat out tries to seduce her. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think she may even put on like a. A, you know, a nightgown or something. I can't quite remember. <laughs> Tanya ends up like um, running away. <laughs> yeah, she, she escapes. She's lucky to escape. <laughs> um, so yeah, so from Russia with Love doesn't have Blofeld as a villain, but arguably this film doesn't either. Yeah, this film is actually central villain list. It's all henchmen. Yeah, you got Clev and you got um, Kronstein. Sort Kronstein. Of. That's the one. And um, Red Kronstein. Yeah, and uh, what's the other dude? Which what other dude? The, 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 the guy, the guy training uh, Spectre Island. Oh, Walter Gattel's character. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. It's not the same character he plays later on. In the more, we will get him again in the more era. Is it Morzini? I can't remember his name. Morzini, you're That's absolutely good. right. It is. Oh, really? Oh, he's, he's, he pops up again, does he? He's in. He's in several of the Roger Moore films. Yeah, because he plays Goggle as well, doesn't he? Yeah, he's General Goggle. Shit! No way. Yeah. But the one who calls Barbara back at the start. Oh of my, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, no. I, I am yeah, gobsmacked. Same, same 
Yeah, he's in about six or seven. He's in about six months after that, this. That guy looks in, in Russia. He looks like he looks like he's really tall fellow. Like General Gogos looks like yeah, he's pretty much short ass. Yeah, admittedly, he's short. He sat down in those seats. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> By the desk. Um, but yeah, so he he does it's sort same, of yeah, same actor. It, it's funny that I mean, when we get to the Moore era, they're a lot more comfortable using Russians as sort of the bad guys, sort of. The, it, it there was a kind of rivals, but. You know, but it's mm-hmm. it's like inspired love me. It's like it's rather than um, being like actually, like they they acknowledge that the they are kind of kind of semi at war. There's tensions between the two, and they kind of yeah. And the dangers are actually with people who are KGB trained and yeah. sort of not not able to be kept on a leash. A leash, yeah. like, uh, but like no, leash. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, but the villains are always kind of almost like always working outside of that, really. Yeah. So, it, but I mean, at the point that they would have been shooting from Russia with love, it would have been early in '63. We'd have been fourteen, fifteen months after the Cuban Missile Crisis, mm-hmm. and I don't think at that point you could have had the sort of cartoony villainy <laughs> of no, Smirch. It's still very much real. Yeah, when there were real tensions there. It's, yeah, it's probably a wise move. But then, uh, yeah. but then. The movie industry has always done that, though, isn't it? And it's just, I suppose it just makes sense. Just like, well, we're not going to point fingers. We're just going to just isolate, a, a, like, and like an like a separate terrorist or like or separate group that's completely fictional uh, that are doing it. So um, it's interesting, how, you know, geopolitics do inform interbond. So it's just quite interesting. Yeah, and uh, hence why. Hence why GoldenEye was such a high-risk film at the time, post-Cold War. The Cold War do, does define this series to a large degree, even though... Prince Boz is happy shooting a... Russian soldiers. <laughs> well... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just, yeah, but they just shot his mate, so he just... Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think even though quite often it would be a megalomaniac as the bad guy outside of that system... There is, there is no doubt that these are Cold War era films. Definitely. All right. Um, so where are we where are we to now? Uh, so Russia, uh, Russia take, uh, takes its time bringing Connery. Connery gets introduced. Uh, we get our first introduction to uh, Q uh, in this. Uh, the first uh, Desmond Llewellyn's Q. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's great. And his first gadget is a briefcase. Cheers. Memorable. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's not the it's not the Q Bond relationship we've come to know. That that, that comes along. That, that, next yeah, week, next really. week. But um, yeah, it's kind of more of like patrician. Like I just you know go in, give her your tech, and get out. It's not very much you know. I'll pay attention to 007 and do bring it back in one piece. And... Well, well, the role is was pretty much last minute. It was like uh, he, he got the course. Oh, can you come in and just do this like one scene? So like okay, fine. Uh, it was like and then being what being what a random call to get because. He made his career, basically. I, I don't know if it... I, I, I haven't looked... I don't know if either of you know why it's not Peter Burton again. Peter um, Burton, who was the quartermaster last week. Because this is still a relatively small, nondescript role at this stage. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that, actually. I have to look into it. it I would have thought it might well have been a clash, but yeah. Was, yeah, maybe he wasn't available, and they drafted Desmond in. And thank, yeah, and thank goodness they did, because... 
there was a period of time where I couldn't even imagine this series without Desmond Llewellyn. Obviously, time goes on and things change, but he was so central to the identity of this series for years. I completely agree. I mean, he is Q. I mean, you've got Ben Whishaw now, but it just you can't. Nobody can replace Desmond Llewellyn. Is mm. a real credit to the series. John Cleese actually did a good job, though. Admittedly, yeah, it was. Oh, it was news. It was quite funny, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, well, you know, I mean, I think if it won, what well, I think if you're going to praise Die Another Day for anything, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I did, I do remember the bit where the new queue, which would be John Glees, yeah, did seem pretty seamless. It didn't sort of feel weird in any way. So, I, but okay, I guess, I guess we we keep saying this. We'll get to it when we get to die of that. But, 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 but. As, a teaser, as a teaser for that episode, I will praise the MGM logo at the start. Oh yeah. <laughs> After that, it's a bit. <laughs> That's the best part. And then, oh, well, I don't know. The, yeah, the um, the key scene is always a highlight of the film, and yeah, for much of there's no exception really. I don't know. I mean, it's just basically just a briefcase. Like, no, look here. There was someone who got a briefcase, got a rifle, just and, a and 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 some, and some, and some gold and, and some like gold coins and a, and, a, and a flick knife. But he uses those sulfurs to bug for his life. And we've got some talcum powder that explodes in your face. Ha ha. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then goes, "Thanks, Q. Okay, bye." <laughs> he just walks out. Yeah, yeah. It's, actually a, it's actually a pretty nondescript um, yeah. um, scene as well. This one at this stage, um, yeah. we we do get a much much better. Uh, co- uh, scene with Emma later on which I'm sure we'll get to in a little while. Of course at this point he's sent off to Istanbul to start his mission and he is partnered up with a really really wonderful character uh, Ali Karim Bey played by Pedro Armendariz yeah. if I, I pronounce yeah, it correctly uh, Really, really, one of the saddest elements of the saddest element of this film is is um, Armindaris's story. Uh, right at the very outset of shooting, he's told he has terminal cancer. That's really sad. Mm. They filmed all his scenes within about three weeks, um, and there are scenes in this film where he is literally being held up, where there's close-in sort of waist-up shots. Quite often, he's being held up by somebody. And um, he was dead months before the film's release. He he um, he checked into a clinic in the United States, smuggled in a gun, and shot himself to avoid the worst of the pain. So, really cast a poor because the film was still in production when he died. So yeah, really sad story. And and the greatest respect to the act you can pay to the actor is the fact you cannot tell, you cannot tell at any point that there's anything wrong with him. No, he was happy to go back and and read up his lines, isn't he? Even though he's really poorly. He's happy to go back and reshoot scenes and, and read he did, up his he did, his, he did all his ADR, ADR work, yeah. Yes, he did. I think, I mean, it's it's testament as well, the fact that he's actually one of my favourite of Bond's allies. Definitely. Yeah, there's just something about him that he's just like, he, even though even though you know he's pretty much like a, a shady character, but he's one of these like friendly, shady characters. So he's just like, mm. hey, I like instantly can trust you. He's like helpful and friendly. Mm. And, yeah. and he has this kind of code of thing like, well, I basically keep everything in my family, like like everyone who works for me, like sort of like you're all cl- my sons. literally are related. It's like because you know, blood, you know, you can't get thicker than but you know, you, you, I can, I, yeah. I know, I know, I can trust them, you know. And he's just so much more impact. Yeah. than the, the seven or eight Felix Leiter interpretation. <laughs> oh yes, that's true. 
Exactly. Like, with, with a couple of exceptions. I mean, certainly David Hedison in Life mm. of the Field. Um, but, but even like pretty much in his last scene where he's there like talking to the um, to that Russian... Um, <laughs> yeah, we Exactly. I'm going to piss you, you off. You would? Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, you that's, would? That's, that's the whole tone. <gasps> well, then. Did you recognise? Uh, yeah, of course, he he survives a he, he survives a bomb attack because he's basically not sat at his desk. He's having sex. <laughs> oh yeah. And, um, and the, the woman he's having sex with, the one who's Ali Karen Bay, that you'll see her next week. She's the she's the um, belly dancer in the pre-title sequence to Goldfinger. Of course she is. That uh, that she that he spins to take that smack on the head. Oh God, human shield. Which sort of adds to that feeling that we've got a bit of a sort of almost a repertory company here in these early films. Yeah. A lot of the same people coming back again. Yeah, it's like you were saying last week. You got a company of a company of films, the same cast, same crew, almost. First, truly great John Barry Bond score as well. Definitely, it's one of my favorite. I love the music for Mushroom of Love. It's oh, just amazing. It's, well, I love John Barry. Period. But Russia is just one of my favorite scores ever. Forever, ever. Just, I'd let you know that. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think from here, people people often talk about sort of um, when they talk about John Williams and they say, well, you know, that sort of seventy-five to eighty-two, eighty-three spell, where just everything he did was gold from from mm-hmm. Jaws through probably through ET. I can't think of it went any further than that. And I think really from here through about Diamonds, you've, you've got Barry's golden era for me. Oh, for sure. Definitely. He also won an Academy Award during this time, I believe, for Midnight Cowboy. So, yeah, this this was a very, very fertile period for him. Amazing score. Mm. I have to convince you guys to get into John Barry. It's just amazing. Uh, well, I've got a couple of his scores. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I've got, I've got the Majesty scores, and I've got the Somewhere in Time score. Oh, brilliant. Which is outside of this era, actually, because that's about 81, 82. Yeah, but still very good, though. So. But still superb, yeah. So um, it's really big, big brassy um, mm-hmm. brass sounds, um, mm-hmm. and the percussion, and just the, the swing kind of jazz element of it as well. Really, really makes it stand out. It, it's weird because, like, when you whenever you're watching a film that's not a Bond film, and you hear a piece of music, you're like, oh, that, that's kind of like a Bond film. That's John Barry. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like it's like out, out of Africa. You think, oh, that sounds like it could be in a Bond film. It's John Barry. Exactly. I've got um, one of his later albums. Um, I want to say Echoes, I think, um, maybe late 90s. Um, okay, you're not confusing him with Pink Floyd, are you? No, I, I would have to look this up. But, <laughs> but yeah, I would have to look it up. Um, but yeah, it's like kind of, I, think, I think it's an album of like original music. Um, and it does sound like, some of them do sound like they could be Bond themes. I mean, this, this certainly, I know the gold, uh, Goldfinger will certainly have its fans, but this to me is his strongest from the, the sort of first four. I, I think, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think his best three Bond scores come in a row a bit later on, but this is this is the strongest of the first four for me. I, th- I think also what helps is not. Re- oh, Eternal Echoes. That's what it's called. Sorry. I think because I think also it helps the fact that it's not reliant on anything else as well. Because like in, in golfing, you've got all the you've got, suppose you got all the other elements of the all the other regular Bond tropes that comes that start coming into it. Mm. it. This is like the least tropey of the Bond. Fran- um, franchise and it kind of just speaks for itself it does of all my favorite bond films this is actually the one i can watch least because you've got to kind of concentrate mm. 
you can't you can't let it wash over you like comfort food in the same way as as, as maybe a goldfinger it, it it you know it doesn't have those sort of familiar signposts on the way but it's still no, action packed sorry go on back no sorry, I was going to say it's quite twisty turny as well you do have to pay attention mm. and and it's still action packed as well i mean it does feel like it it does feel very tightly knitted like there's yeah, there's mm. a bit of plot or oh, there's a bit of like a little bit of action scene there's you know, oh, there's something interesting red grants up to suspicion and uh, and then it's like oh there's there's a huge fight scene bit of plot fights it just feels very much like um it, it's giving you like a nice little mix of everything so it gives you a bit like a bit of plot bit of action bit of plot bit of action bit of plot bit of action and it feels like a very nice sort of um sort of pacey kind of story and it's just really well done um what i kind of find um what i really liked about the character red grant uh i will say is the fact that he's pretty much like you'd never hear him speak up until the train bit and he just talks That's like not the voice you're expecting to come exactly. out. Exactly. It's like he's, no. he's just like, Oh, hello, old chap. And he, he make and, and it does make you wonder the fact is he you know, when he does reveal himself, is he is he gonna go into like full like Russian or or kind of like like a like a little bit European like kind of kind of kind of accent, but he kinda of doesn't. He makes you think does is that his real voice? Or you know, it's really weird. Mm. Yeah, actually, in the book, I believe he's Irish. Oh, because Red Grant is actually Irish, and he, he's kind of a mercenary. I've not read the book for a few years, so I'm sure people listening may correct me on that. But yeah, See, I, yeah sure. I could buy that as well. Yeah, I mean, the book gives him a backstory. Uh, the the book you do you do find out sort of how he ended up where he is. The film doesn't do that, and it's actually all the stronger for it. Mm. Yeah, you didn't give him that backstory. You don't really, too, you don't find, you don't find out too much about him. And if it makes him more, well, that's always best. Makes him more sinister as well, particularly like in the the first half where he's trailing Bond, and it's like you can, you know his orders, but you know it just makes him a lot more sinister. But he's a hired killer. I mean, the, 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 he, but he is a hired killer. Yeah. Whereas. I'm ruthless, like just literally, just like yeah. stole a car and killed a dude for it. You know? But the, the yeah, thing that actually tells you he's just a hired killer, though, is the fact that he orders red wine with fish. <laughs> well, he's that's, that's he's how you not, know he's a <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, that that's the common thing. But after watching this, it, I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's the reason. I think it. I think the, 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 line, the line of dialogue is when he reveals himself and he's like. Redwine and fish. I should have known, or something like that. I think okay. I think that's more of like a joke. Like, like yeah, bomb picked up for. Oh, that's a bit odd. Why are you guys red fish? How's red fish? He said he's 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 red wine with fun, with fish. Uh, and but then, his training is killing, not infiltration. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I think I think it's I think from from what I see from the film, it's like it's Connery's bond is kind of like. Almost like making a joke, saying, "Oh, I should have known some of that poor taste." Got to be like a, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, rather than actually being a serious thing, uh, because I don't know. He, he does pick up on the fact that he he dropped um, something in uh, uh, Tatiana's drink, which is not the which is in not the most subtle way either. So <laughs> it's really obvious. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's I think this thing. I think that's what gave him away. Because cause after that, he kind of blags in the fact that, oh, yeah, no, uh, I can't take her with me, but let me show you the, the 
my 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 route. Yeah, now get on your knees. Yes, yeah. and so so, yeah. so with your neck exposed and all. Yeah, so so Bond actually still buys it. You know what I mean? So that whole like red white red wine thing kind of still stands for me. So, but <sighs> anyway. <laughs> and then of course you've just mentioned them. They go back. Tatiana's drugged. Well, they're on the Orient Express, and. I don't know about you, but I'm struggling to think of a bad Bond theme set on a bad Bond sequence set on a train. No, I think generally Bond on a train is. They a good generally thing. work. Yeah, it's really good. Um, you've got a claustrophobic atmosphere, and it's just really tense, and probably one of the most brutal fight scenes you'll see on a train in cinema history. I think it's what go down as the point that, like, whenever Bond goes against as a big fight with a, a villain or you know the lead villain, the henchman, they always kind of go, "We need to go for Russia of, you know, that fight scene on a train with Red Grant." It always seems to be like the benchmark or, or or the main inspiration that they always want it to be, kind of like that, all that brutal. Definitely. Um, well, they call back to it twice in the Roger Moore era. Yeah. They do. Uh, you, you, you've got uh, Live and Let Die and The Spy Love Me have got very, very similar sequences. Mm. And um, they are recalling this. Not not like this, they are recalling this. Yeah, so both, yeah. both Roger's scenes aren't as brutal as, as this one. Yeah. And I remember even Goldeneye when uh, Mark, I think Mark Campbell said like yeah. the, the big the big fight with uh, Pierce Brosnan and Sean Bean, like he wanted something cool. like something along the lines of that. They want echo that kind of feel. Um, to it, that kind of br- brutal sort of just fisticuffs thing. Um, so yeah, I think that has always been like the classic Bond punch up, and, and it's it, and it's yeah <laughs> on a train, and it's still and it's, and it's and it still holds up. You know, it's, it's it still feels it feels like a believable fight as well. Doesn't have a lot of that. It, a lot of the, the Bond fights of this era have that sort of weird undercranked sort of speeded up effect. No. And th- this has none of that. No, this and is quality all the way through. Because it's shot so close in, as, as Becca suggests, claustrophobia, you can tell it's them. I, I don't think the stuntmen did very much of this at all. No, he did pretty much all his own stunts, didn't he, Connery and, and, um, and Donald Grant? <laughs> his name, I can't remember. Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. Mm. Quint. <laughs> Quint. Anyway. Quint von Shaw. Uh, he will always be, as iconic as this character is, he will always be Quint over and above this. Yeah, There's Quint. no question. I, I was going to say Quint, but I thought, no, that's not his name. Mm. But, does, but doesn't he buy it by getting stabbed in the shoulder, though? I always found that a bit... I mean, unless I miss it, like, miss something, I just felt like, oh, really? You know, he got stabbed in the shoulder and that's it. It's quite an epic punch-up, though. Oh, it is. Don't worry. I guess you've got to end it somehow. I, mean, I know, but I would have thought you would have thought you would have gone for like a chest shot or something. I don't know. It just feels like it just felt like what stabbing the shoulder feels like. That, that's like the the start of it, and then that's all. Yeah, it is. He it, an artery somewhere. At least in Live and Let Die, like Tee goes out the window. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's um. But yeah, doesn't Jaws go out the window as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he, he all done. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 Sean Bean doesn't. Sean Bean. Sean Bean doesn't go out the window because he falls off a satellite. Satellite dish, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. They could have put. They could have put a window halfway down just to make the effect of it like. Just out it goes. <laughs> yeah. Or Sean Bean dying in all his films. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. So um, I, this film must have been. 
really, really looked at by the censors. In 1963, you've got one of the most brutal hand-to-hand fights you're going to see in a film of that era. You've got gypsies fighting. You've got, got gypsies fighting, followed by a very strongly implied threesome. Mm, definitely. Um, and a lot of people... See, I've never seen this, and I've got a filthy you got You've got a blowjob <laughs> joke as well. That's the... That's the yeah. just, and, that, and that's the first scene, literally, like... He, here's the weirdness of, of that relationship like the first time they meet Bond literally has sex with her and also I noticed as well watching it on, on Blu-ray um, you see Tanya's backside and the very first you know oh and... trust me I saw that in the chest. I not the first time around I must say yeah, I mean, you've, got, you've got full nudity I've got a it's, feeling yeah, it's, it's a but it's there it's a body double, but I mean, the fact is, it's still female nudity. You see her ass? Oh my god! You've got you've got uh, a gypsy fight followed by quite a brutal gypsy fight followed by a definitely implied threesome. Mm, then you've got Chris Cutsey. Now, I've heard other podcasts talk about this scene where he meets with um, Tanya. It's worth talking about this scene actually because it sort of <laughs> it outlived Connery as a scene. But we'll, we'll come to that in just a second. But um, in fact, no, we'll come to it now because. It's the it's the standard Bond screen test. That's the one. Yeah, they all do the from which love love scene, don't they? They do. They all do, they all do this scene. They they do a scene from Majesties as well. Yep. But they always do this scene. You know, my call me James Bond, and he you know catches her in bed. And you'll you'll see on various extras discs, uh, Pierce Brosnan doing it, Sam Neill. Yes, Sam um, Neill did it. Sorry. Uh, yeah, Sam Neill did it as well. And I seem to remember when Colin Salmon was on Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> Um, he was talking about it as well, and that's when he auditioned years and years ago. Right. Um, and he had to I do that. I've got to well. tell that story when we get to that because I've heard rumours about comments Colin Salmon and, and potential casting, but I don't know anyone. Well, all I know is yeah, like. Edit it out and we'll do it when we come to it. All, all I know is about Colin Salmon is like, well, during the Brosnan era, he was like the, the stand in for Brosnan for the screen tests. So he. he so like, whenever like someone. Would, would, screen tested to say a Bond yeah Bond. so let's say like the Bond girl would like be screen tested for the next film he would be play Bond in the screen test right so because Sam Neill's screen test I think it's Fiona Fullerton who was in um who was in A View to a Kill and I know Mariam Darbo tested opposite Pierce Brosnan oh yeah she sat in for some of those but yeah this this scene is um see now I've never and, and if a mind as filthy as mine can't see it as this, I do wonder if it was. <laughs> I, I did not think this was a blowjob joke. Because he, he's leaning in to kiss her as he says it. Yeah. But everyone else seems to, think, no, seems to think that he's saying, your mouth is the perfect size for my dick. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I suppose it's that, that's, that's the wonderful thing. It can read both ways. I mean, like, I mean, like a Bond is saying it as like, uh, like literally the same size as my mouth. But then you can kind of like understand, and 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 it's not like that much of a stretch. I mean, if to it believe had been that more, it definitely would have been a blowjob well, joke. Funny you should say Probably. that. <laughs> I wa- I watched I watched that, and and I thought like I know that what you're saying about Roger Moore. This plays exactly like Roger Moore. Literally within like a minute of walking in, meeting this girl for the first time, he's there having sex with her. It's just like. It's a really weird scene because he shakes hands with her. So like, oh, nice to meet you. Well, he's a gentleman, isn't yeah, he? All, isn't he? he is. <laughs> it's, it's just, just like moments before they start, you know, uniting their parts, they're shaking <laughs> hands. It's really weird. But um, I mean, that you know, 
this film in general must have been a, a tough sell in certain places. Quite risque. Yeah. Mm. And the things that she's all like leaning in, like, going, oh. like literally the moments. It's just, it just feels like a bit, oh, Jesus Christ. Is it not called Tarnie? I can't do it. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for anyone listening, we have minutes of outtakes that attest to that she can't do accents. I can't do accents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like to try, but I can't do it, but still, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, really weird, weird scene. The, the thing that always strikes me about this actress is how young she was. And and it doesn't show. People of that era just age differently. Yeah, I don't know what it is because like she's about twenty one. <laughs> yeah, she's so young. Yeah, I, I I I don't know. I'm guessing it must be something to do with like the the, the style and probably the makeup at the time as well. Like especially when when filming something, I I don't know. I think it might be a combination of the both. But um, yeah, I mean, particularly Connery as well. I mean. Going back to him, Doctor No. I mean, he's like what in early thirty. when he was built. Yeah, yeah. and it's like he does not look thirty. Well, he looks like someone who is like nearly in his forties. Near, like you know, yeah. yeah. Don't worry, he still looks good, but it's like he still looks yeah. like. But I think he just looks like he's been through more stuff. Yeah, he's he's a little bit more. He's a little bit bigger this week than last week as well, but in a good way. Mm. There's a little bit more bulk on him this week. Um, he's yeah. definitely growing into the role, uh, you know. In a few movies, <laughs> well, we'll, see him, we'll see him grow out of it. <laughs> <laughs> in more ways than one. At the moment, he's he's everybody's on really top form here. What do we make of Rosa Kleb? Terrifying, in a word. Uh, well, basically, I always think of her as a prototype to um, uh, the what, what's the Majesty's one? Emma Bud. Emma Bunt, yeah. What Emma Bunton? <laughs> not, not Emma Bunton, no. Well, baby Spice. <laughs> henchman, the henchman is Baby Spice. No, no, no. Is it, is it uh... Emma Bunt? Emma, is... Emma Bunt. Emma Bunt. Yeah, she she reminds me of kind of like a like a, a prototype to Emma Bunt. <laughs> you're still like the idea of it being Emma Bunt, not you? Oh, well, yeah. When two become one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think she's. I think she's more impressive than than, than Irma Bunt in terms of her role in the film. I mean, Irma Bunt is very stern looking, but she is. I mean, she's quite sinister. But I would say um, Rose Club is definitely. I mean, I don't, I don't know what it is. She's just. It's just very creepy. I find it very very creepy, even in the book and the film, and it's, just it's, it's, really it's memorable. It's in the shoe as well. Yeah, terrifying. But yeah, the actress she's tiny in in real life. She's you know quite fairly. Pretty petite. Um, I think that kind of adds adds to to the um, to the effect of it, really. So mm. it's a very tiny woman who's capable of horrific death, or not. Well, she just feels very evil and kind of like poison dwarf. <laughs> yeah, angry. You said that because I thought of it and thought better of it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you can edit. That's all right. <laughs> so what do you say? I said poison dwarf. <laughs> poison dwarf. We can edit it out, please. I just, I, just, I, just, I just had a flash of double up now. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, this is it. That's what I was thinking. I, yeah, like, I mean, I, mean, I think her, her main scene, I mean, apart from, like, the stuff with Blofeld and, and that, you know, kicking scene with Bond, yeah, um, 
it, you know, it is the bit with uh, Tatiana when she's literally like giving a mission, she's kind of like coming onto her and kind of being sort of strongly aggressive with her, kind of like, well, if you speak to anyone, you'll be shot. And it's like, pre- she's pretty much like, okay, well, you got this, uh, we've got off you this job, which uh, uh, will lead you in a very, very high position with uh, uh, the, the Russian government. And uh, um, what have I refused? Then you will be killed. <laughs> pretty much like, oh, right, well. <laughs> it's got no choice, really. Yeah. Um, which, but then, like, it, it's kind of like you, you, you know that she she be she be killed when if goes success anyway because it's like you know she didn't really work for the for the uh, Russian government <laughs> she so um, no she, she doesn't know that though, does she no, so, no. I mean, her kind of putting the screws on Cleb and then she's in return mm. laying on Tatiana saying right if you don't do this you will be shot you'll be shot uh, yeah she does look like she's wearing joke shop glasses in that scene. <laughs> she does a little bit. <laughs> yeah, she's gone spec savers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's always been like a very sort of mem- memorable like character, like in, in appearance, and 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 it just always striking as well. When you got like yeah, when you think of all the classic Bond villains, she, she inevitably pops up. Mm. But I also like little touches of her kind of sort of shitting herself when like. Blofeld's there going like, I do not tolerate failure. <laughs> it's so sweaty as well. Yeah, like yeah. Oh, the action when Bronstein dies is, is, she is terrified. Sweating bullets. But mm. that's a common thing as well when it comes to like Blofeld or the, or these type of villains is when when when, some, when they're kind of telling off and it's like implying that like that person's fucked up and really they're going to kill the other guy. It happens in Thunderball. It, ha- it, it, it I think it happens like maybe another another couple of times. But another mm. thing I noticed about this scene, this what I watched, uh, I always thought it was Blofeld who kicked him under the table. But it actually, isn't it? Um, the other dude, he just comes in. Yes. I always thought it was Blofeld under the table until this watching. Yeah, same here. I just night yeah. I noticed. And it's not. Mm. It, it's um. And you know, I don't think I'd ever really caught that establishing shot and realised it was on a boat. I don't think I ever really made yeah. that connection. But we no, see the camera. You were on the other angle. Yeah. Yeah. The camera, ca- the camera itself is kind of like going. There are a couple of editing tricks in this this particular or the first scene with Kronstein and Kleb because when you see Kleb approach his Japanese fighting fish, mm. um, that's a reverse of a shot from the end of the scene. Mm, it is. Walks forward. Once you notice it, you can't unnotice it, but it's done fairly smoothly. And they probably also seen, unseen. they also had to film an insert with Lottie Lenya, so they filmed her against a, a blank screen and then cut her in front of herself <laughs> to film another. It's, um, there's some really interesting editing tricks in in this film again yeah, as well. Hmm. Like at the beginning when they go through the Spectre training camp, I didn't realise this, but they kind of I, I, they, they, go, they go through the gamut and then they do another shot, but it's, they're practically entering the same area. But yeah, it looks like they're going up. into the second area. By, by the yeah, way, I love that. That must have been like the first time that whole trope of like the the spy training camp where 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 people got flamethrowers and all and like ninja suits. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like. <laughs> But but the whole but, but there's no scenes of them all training to order the right wine to go with fish. No, no, <laughs> that's when they don't. Do o- only the British government camp. do that. Only the British government. Yeah, only Bond, only the below section know that. That's <laughs> <laughs> need to know basis. <laughs> so yeah, the funny thing is, I always thought these 
you know little tricks were part of of a tight budget but but certainly in listening to Terence Young talking about it he was perfectly satisfied with his budget he said it was yeah, a nice budget yeah, and it allowed him to do everything he wanted to do but what else does this film introduce to the Bond series for the first time? Uh, Venice, which we see again and again through the Bond series. Uh, Istanbul, which appears in several entries in the series as we go forward. Bond on a train. Can we think of any others? Bond on a train. So, so, it's, it sounds like film in itself, doesn't it? <laughs> Bond on a train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Go on then, tell us. No, I wasn't. I was. I literally asking what. Oh, what, else is, what else is there at this point that? Well, Blofeld. What, what really? did we see for the first pre-titles? Yeah, Blofeld. And again, that was post-production editing from Peter Hunt. He said, "Let's put that the other side of the the credit of uh, the the music." Yeah, side the trend, didn't it? So that's quite that's good. The trend. Yeah, the really takes off next week. Um, what else have we got? We've got the first Desmond Llewellyn Q scene. We've got the first shot of Venice. Got, First shot of Istanbul. We got Blofeld stroking his cat. Blofeld stroking <laughs> a white cat. White kitty cat. Yeah, but that. Funny yeah, but yeah, but that that, that whole thing is iconic. Is that 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 faceless villain stroking a cat has always been. Um, even it's it's very much Bond, but it's it's that whole Blofeld thing has come beyond that. It's you know it's come like the typical, you know, when everyone's categorised as like an arch villain. When he wants to take over the world, it's always a guy sitting in the chair stroking a cat. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, t- tell me the amount of times you are like, when you sit in a swirly chair. It's like you wish you could just you know you span around and you wish you were stroking a cat, going like, "So, Mister Bond." <laughs> I, I, I was last week when I was recording this. in your villain chair. <laughs> yeah, I was in a swivel chair with a cat on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... No, not so, so it was pussy galore then, was it? <sighs> Can you just edit in the sound of a tumbleweed over? There? <laughs> <laughs> um. No, no, I'll just, I'll just edit. It's, it's, it's a really, really horrible uh, sitcom tin laughter. <laughs> yeah, can laugh. Oh, do that! Yeah. <laughs> <That'd be hilarious. laughs> oh God! Yeah, um, it's also, I think, the sort of. The, the henchman we'd almost forgotten about scene. Oh, yeah. As well, if you think about uh, Nick Knack in The Man with the Golden Gun and se- several others as we go along. You know, Bond's won at the end of this film and he's in a hotel with Tanya and all of a sudden there's Kleb again. You know, it's... Uh, I come back for one last shot. Too. Yeah, that started, that kind of started here. But, it's, but there's no, like, big base that blows up at the end of this, is there? It's... It's... No, yeah, Club kind of dies, and then that's pretty much it. Isn't yeah. it? So there's a giant explosion at the end. No, he has no, escape from an underground volcano lair. Yeah, but I mean, this was a this was a fairly faithful adaptation of the books. All of the first sort of few are. I mean, next week we don't really have a lair as such. No. At the end of the film, nor do we the week after that. I mean, really, that trope kicked off with the sort of fifth film in the yeah. series. Uh, yeah, and um, even then, it's 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 not always got the feeling of a lair. When we get to Majesties, it's it's just where Blofeld's Operate. doing what he does. Yeah, it's not really his lair, is it? So it's, it's not one big open space like you get in a lot of these films. But um, 
Well, that's yeah. kind of like another Bond trope that kind of really outlived, but you don't really see much of it. As I say, kind of, you know, I just make a casual joke about a hollowed-out volcano lair. But that happens once. Um, and, you know, you don't ever see that kind of thing again, maybe. But, but a very sizable lair with lots of people working on different things. Um, I mean, I guess we haven't seen that since Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, probably. The boat. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. kind of like a lair, I guess, but... Does, does, mm. does the Ice Hotel count as a layer? Mm. The what, sorry? The Ice Hotel. Dine of the Day? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Oh, yeah, well, I think, yeah, Quantum, anyway. Quantum of Solace. <coughs> that ends in that kind of weird... That really weird hotel. Yeah, yeah no, I guess it, I don't know. That, blo- that, that blows I, up. When I think of villains' layers, I always think of... In Bond films, I always think of very big open spaces. Yeah, I mean, as I say, I, I would count. I would count uh, Golden Eye. I would certainly count Tomorrow Never Dies. They, oh, yeah, Golden Eye. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, soldiers standing around arbitrarily turning knobs. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Skyfall has has a layer. It just it just is. To quote Austin Powers. But Skyfall like uh, um, uh, has a layer in it, but it's just like in the middle of the film rather than the end. Yeah, I thought yeah, yeah, you were referring to Skyfall. I thought you were referring to Skyfall itself. Yeah, no, like, I mean, well, that, 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 that is that is Bond's there. layer, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, he's got his island, hasn't he? So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, the, the, when you when we sort of look at the pacing of this film, though, I, I don't have any major problems with it, but certainly from when he meets with Karen Bay and they go and sort of spy on Kirilenko. And, uh, when they go underground, right up through the gypsy camp, which I've never been that blown away by. It does have down parts to it. I think, really, this film kicks into gear when they get on the Orient Express. Definitely, I would agree with you there. Yeah, because you've got, got from there, and you've got the, the train, and you've got the boat chase. No, actually, no, you've got, like, a fight with a helicopter, a boat chase. A fight with a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. That's a really action-packed scene. <coughs> Excuse me. It's the other thing that sort of brings up the Hitchcock comparison because I can't watch it without thinking of North by Northwest. Yeah, definitely. I think that's well, where he got the inspiration from, really, isn't it? So mm-hmm. this this uh, Hitchcock. We talked last week about how Hitchcock could have easily directed the first film in this series, and, and I said then next week we get to the most Hitchcock film of the series, and, and this is it. Um, train settings. They've that that feels very Hitchcock. Yeah. Acting choices, everything about it. It's it's a Bernard Herrmann score away from being a Hitchcock film, really. Pretty much, right. yeah, definitely. As a Hitchcock fan, I would I would concur. I don't know. I think for Hitchcock, would pull some more extreme camera shots. Oh yeah, definitely. They're a lot more yeah. um, trickery and involved. So you know, I think yeah, there's definitely. I mean, like, flash forward to um, to Goldfinger, you've got like the references between the two films, and you only cross refer um, because at the start of Goldfinger, he refers to the new Felix Leiter. That's the one, it yeah. refers to Jamaica. Uh, yeah, that's probably what it is. Okay, yeah. All right, well, never mind. Cut it out and just Dave, say what you said before again. What did I say before? Oh, it's a, yeah, it's a Bernard Herrmann score away from yeah. from possibly being a Hitchcock film. Maybe Whether I'm just picking on certain tropes, locations and sets, I don't know. But certainly the whole helicopter sequence is is a bit like an inferior version of the North by Northwest scene. Although it was a plane in that scene. Yeah. And I kind of liked how the pilots were all wearing leather. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what? 
<laughs> they were literally they were like everything was leather down to their caps they were wearing. Black <laughs> leather, know. you know, it's the it's the look for henchmen these days. It, it's a scene actually that the whole helicopter scene. I don't know how you feel about it, but when I think of this film, it's not one of the first things I think of, and I think it runs too long. I, I think it's almost like. You know, they spent a lot of money to hire or buy this helicopter, and they were really going to get the money's worth. They could. Yeah, they're trying to eke it out a little bit. Apparently, it was only it was a remote control one as well, which I didn't realise. And only through watching the um, extras and listening to the commentary. Wow, wow, them, them henchmen have been really small. Was <laughs> <laughs> it? You know, it's a big six foot. Sean you know. Connery weren't that big then, was he? <laughs> <laughs> they were all basically long. like Dennis Waterman in Little Britain. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that, that did strike me and I apologise if I'm being a bit thick but maybe the film has been a bit thick but like when Red Brandt explains his route to Bond in a kind of attempt to knock him over the head and and kill him kind of thing kind of thing <laughs> uh, it's like he goes okay Bond thinks alright well you know uh, Red Brandt's got his escape route okay let's get off the train but he follows it to a T now and it cuts to, like, Spectre saying, like, oh, Bond's escaped. Oh, well, we'll, we'll go and get him. And it's like, they have it so easy. They know exactly where Bond's going to be. They know exactly where route he's going. It's like, how, I, how can he be fit? I mean, sure, yeah, get off the train. Maybe, you know, get and then get in that van. But once you're in the van, wouldn't you kind of go off route from what Red Grant had planned? Because isn't that just a bit predictable? Because it's too easy. That's you know, you, Yeah, exactly. It, it just feels like... Um, shouldn't you like be going to different places to avoid, you know, I don't know, <laughs> getting captured? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it ju- it just seems like really stupid to me. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's honestly might be better off. Just, if, <laughs> if, I mean, to point, Bond might have been better off. He just stayed on the fucking train, quite I've frankly. Never quite but... why he didn't, to be no, honest. Really. Um, but then the... overlook that part, maybe. I think that's all. I think that's kind of my. I think that's my personal preferences speaking as well. I, I think this film starts very strong. I think the whole, the whole um, of the Orient Express scenes are terrific. Ripping. I think anything apart from this, you know, pill dropping. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's it's the same. I don't know any, any sort of Bond film like that. I mean, it's really high quality. Pacing's really brilliant. Um, it's going to have ups and downs, but I think this is why it's endured as you know to top many people's lists. Mm. That's why it's you know been so popular for so long. We talked about an awkward scene earlier, just after he finds uh, one of the the staff on the train come to tell him to come quickly. There's been a terrible accident, and uh, Karen Bay and what's the other guy's name? Karen Bay and the other guy are both dead, obviously, and it's made to look like they've basically killed each other. Yeah. And of course, Bond then goes back to his quarters and. Gets into a bit of a rage with Titania. Yeah. And it's a really, really uncomfortable scene because a lot of these early films, they have slaps in them and so on, and I just tend to overlook it as part of its era. But but misogyny he going really, on. really belts her in this film. He punches, he flat out punches her. Yeah. Um, and it's a brilliantly paid scene by Connery because you can feel the, the, the seething rising in him. But the way he whacks her is incredibly uncomfortable to watch. I think. Well, I think it's. I, I think it's like oh, someone comes like a reminder of the fact that oh, hang on, there's actually kind of there's an illusion between them two. It's like 
know, you know, you, you kind of for it being a Bond film, you kind of just go with it. The fact that you know that she's fallen for for him, or you know, vice versa, and and it's like you kind of get reminded about. Oh, hang on, no, they're kind of playing off each other. So this is the first time where he's like, right, enough's enough. I want to know the fucking truth. You know, yeah. like and then like you know what seriously what is hap- what what is happening? You know. Yes, I mean if you if you frame it differently as he's hitting a Russian agent, yes, um, then it does play a little differently. But of, of all the, I mean, there are slaps in a lot of these early films. Um, there's one, there's one in, in my favourite of the early films, but it's the one time where I struggle not to just go as I see it. Er, yeah, it does. It does kind of make me flinch as well. I'm mm-hmm. not a fan of. But I think also how. <laughs> It also helps you know that she's completely innocent of it as well. Well, yeah, she's completely in love with him, isn't she? Really, and then it's yeah. kind of you can see it played out I, on the faces that yeah. Bond's they also... both play this scene terrific. Yeah, it's really, really stand up, um, and you can just see like you know how angry his like debut saying that you could just see it rising in him, mm. and she's like, no, no, you know, I'm in love with you, and all I know is that I love you, and you just think, oh god, but then by that point he knows that he girl power. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, well... <laughs> <laughs> The the, um, the other scene I was referring to, with I don't like the M scene as much in this film, but I do like the second M scene. It's not M and Bond together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 a bit that. That might sound with me and M work there. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> M and Tokyo. Yeah. Well then, um, that's enough money, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, what, was what, what happened to M in Tokyo? I want to know about this. You know, there was a time when me and M were in Tokyo. <laughs> 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 I'm going, I'm going. I'd, like, I'd like to know more about that actually. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, but doesn't doesn't Money Penny like start like start replaying and he never gets to it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. I think I think Bond put that in delivery just to turn off. Yeah, just to annoy him. Yes. <laughs> oh dear. Um. Yeah, it's 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 the last Bond film that doesn't for a long time anyway. But it's it's the last one of these early ones that. Doesn't really follow a formula in the in the same way. Ne- next week we're nearly there with with the final sort of formula. Would would you would you like to see a the, a Bond film not follow the formula so much like like this? We've seen, yeah, would you seen like plenty one? of Bond films. Yeah, we've done that already, haven't we? I mean, in many ways, Majesties doesn't really follow the formula. Uh, Quantum of Solace doesn't. I, no. a lot of that, a, I, know, I think Quantum does. License to Kill not, doesn't. Not, not, not as much as, for example, like Goldfinger is probably is credited with actually cementing the Bond formula, as it were. Uh, I, I will buy Casino Royale doesn't, um, mm. but I think I think Quantum does. Um, what respect to what, what, what? Well, yeah, here's no, the thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we, it I mean, if you're asking me, would I like to see another? Uh, from Russia with love. I mean, if you if you're talking quality, yes, absolutely. I mean, it it, it is. It's a big drop off from my top two, which I've probably already said in earlier podcasts. Those two are. Um, if not, we'll get to them. Uh, my favourite's pretty obvious. Um, Dino of Day. Yeah, absolutely. You mean, you mean, I find it. I find it. It's the grit. It's the grit. Of- <laughs> What I love about Dying of the Day is, right, I mean, North Korean prison cells must be amazing because basically, right, they imprison you for a year and torture you and you put weight on. <laughs> basically, 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 they force feed you donuts a couple of times a day. 
<laughs> well, what, I, I, I tell you, the, like what the really what uh, North Korea have got in the torture scheme is like they make everything look like a Madonna video. Yeah. It's it's yeah. I think how anyone survives that, I just do oh, not know. Yeah. <laughs> See, then you you could you could use baby spice for torture. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean certainly. It's the if you, if you take my sort of favourites, it, it's normally been around third. That's been challenged in the last couple of viewings, and, and certainly we'll talk about a few in the next few weeks that I hold in, in probably just about as high esteem. But when I look at my my favourites, it, it's the first drop off from my top two. I think the top two are fairly fairly close in quality, and it's also the Bond film, as I said earlier, among my favourites I watch least. I like it a lot, but I've got to be in a I've got to be in a very certain mood. That this is not cinematic comfort food like like quite a lot of the series. I can put this on any time of the week. I I really do enjoy it that much. It's that it's just good solid entertainment for me. Uh, that has the right mix of plotting and action and bond and bondness. Should we say? Yeah, that's it. That's a new word. Is it your favourite, Chris? What, uh, favourite Bond film? Uh, I I don't know. I don't know. Out of this, not to know, yes. But um, Mm. I don't know. I I think I'll have to. I think my favourite has to fall between Majesties and Licence to Kill, actually. Sorry, what was the first one you said I heard Licence to Kill? Uh, Majesties. Uh, Mac, oh. uh, on on a Majesty yeah. Secret Service and License to Kill, mm. uh, so. But that's that's saying it now, in, in episode We've three. We've got a lot of viewing left to do. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, who knows? It might turn out. It might turn out to be Dance Forever. Who knows? <laughs> it might change. You never if it's know. Diamonds are forever. This might get truncated into like a seven, an eight episode podcast. <laughs> might, might so be, just might, yeah. up, let's just give up. One of us is clearly fucking mental. Might be never say never again, you know, wouldn't it? Never say never again is really pretty bad. That's a podcast and a half. That we will do never say never again. I want all my bomb films to uh, to have a sequence with arcades. That's <laughs> dodgy eighties oh. video. Oh, do you mean the video game sequence? Yeah. Yeah, I actually really like that sequence even now. Um, <laughs> it has some good things about it. If it was more ionized. It would uh, it would be a much much better film, but um, we'll get. I mean, it's got a terrible, it's got some terrible casting decisions in it. But um, what you guys don't like, Kim Basinger? Uh, I was thinking, I was thinking more of M. I think oh yeah, that's he's a bit silly, Fox isn't he? Is awful in it, and Edward Fox is a good actor. He's just yeah, he's, he's a good actor, but bad. It's just all wrong for us. Um, Kim Basinger, not really. It's not a very typical Bond girl, but she's fine. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, Diamond, this is still, we are still, I think, there's something about the first four Bond films for me, and uh, although I put Majesties above all of them, you have Pete Connery, and that, that doesn't, that starts to fall away in his later entries, and you can sort of see, you can see a phenomenon building, I mean, last week we've got a, a relatively cheap million dollar film, takes in about 60 worldwide, this week we've got a two million. It takes in about eighty worldwide, and next week the doors start getting blown off as as this phenomenon takes hold. It's really funny that the season, the this, the whole series, takes a real turn next week. 
in a lot of ways, in a way that might not have been particularly obvious at the time. It was just the no, but he, he, he can definitely definitely tell with the change director that the the bomb fight like Gold Goldfinger is pretty much the bond that everyone like knows and loves really. Mm. Yeah, you can tell with the it, like, the guy Hamilton on movies. He de- he ranks he turns up to eleven. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't like his later entries generally speaking because he he is a recurring director. We do get him sort of back in the seventies. Um, we do, should we say we get more of him? No, more of him, but he does do diamonds as well, actually. Oh, um, yeah. But <laughs> I, I, always, I always get uh, him confused with Lewis, Lewis Gilbert. Lewis Gilbert, yeah. Yeah, yeah Louis, both him and Lewis Gilbert have got um, significant pluses and significant minuses, let's put it that way. I think certainly the Q scene, as, we, as we've come to know it over the years, wouldn't have existed had we never had. Guy Hamilton come in and do an entry, and Goldfinger is a cracking entry. As we get to next week, uh, it is very, very good. Um, but it's it, the series is starting now to become, by that point, much more about these little touch points and milestones through the film that each film has to hit. Yeah, the bonds that the bond that we know today mm. is kind of really formed in these first two, three, four films. And it does make From Russia With Love the standout of the four because, like we say, it, it's the least a James Bond film of the opening four. And that makes it... All the better for it. It is, yeah. it is better for it because the funny thing is, as much as I love the Bond formula, nearly all of my favourites deviate from it massively. Definitely. Otherwise it just becomes a box-ticking exercise, isn't it? It's like, yep, M scene, check, Q scene, check, sex scene, check. It, it becomes oh. Tomorrow Never Dies. But, yeah, pretty much. Bond by um, yeah, talking about like favorite Bond films earlier, I think from Russia above definitely. I mean, my top five Bond changes, but um, from Russia is pretty much always in there in the top three, um, and certainly it's. I, I would rate it as Connery's best performance in the role. Is it? Is it ever your favorite? It, yeah, on occasion. Yeah. I probably rate them. It, it it was my first Connery. I, I did hint hint at that last week that the first Connery, the first scene I can remember. Is them underground spying on Kurilenko, Kurilenko, or however you pronounce his name? It's funny you say that. I do. I do remember this being um, the first one. At least I noticed Connery mm. when I, you know when I first established that that there were different actors playing Bond. Mm. You know, bear in mind I was really young at this time. Mm. So, um, and what it's like when I sort of saw this like being advertised on TV back in the day, it was like, oh my God. Roger Moore looks really young. <laughs> he looks so he looks so different. But you can tell you can tell it's like young foot. But then you're like, oh, it's actually Sean. It's actually Sean Connery this time. So um, it, it's one of it's one of it, I think I would say from Russia is the first time I stood up and noticed Sean Connery as Bond. And yeah, I, I still think it's his best film as well. As Bond, my first was the Man with the Golden Gun. I think my second was. The, the big screen of you to a kill. That was certainly my first big screen entry. But um, prior to this, I'd only seen Roger Moore, really. And I'd probably seen more of his later entries than, than his earlier ones when they got when he was too old and they weren't particularly good and all the rest of it. And suddenly you give me From Russia With Love, which is just exquisite to look at. Um, extremely well acted, really good story, but it was followable. Even as a child, I could follow what was happening in this film. Mm. 
and um, suddenly, like this guy who actually looks like he could kill you, rather than sort of tickle you to death, and um, it, it blew the doors off. And, and I think I, I could have endless bad viewings of this film. The last couple of viewings haven't been the best viewings of it I've ever had, but I could have endless bad viewings of this film. And that residual gratitude I pay to it for bringing me into sort of Sean Connery's Bond will we'll always leave it ranked pretty high. For me, I think I've I've always stated that this is my favourite of the Connery Bond films. Um, uh, it, it's it's kind of odd because Connery is deemed the best Bond, and my favourite of his is the one that's least like a Bond film. But in a weird way, this is kind of how I. It's funny, my favourite Bond films are always the more grittier ones, and this is like definitely the more grittier of the Conneries. Um and I and and it just it just it just it just flows, it just really has a good sense of pace and action and it's it's doesn't get ahead of itself. It's it's it just has everything I need and I can it just has re rewatchability written all over it. So uh From Russia Love is my favourite of the Conneries and is one of my favourite Bond films. Yeah, I guess all I can really do is like echo what you guys have said. I mean it's pretty much it's up there in my top five Connery performances throughout his whole movie career, in you know, inside and outside of Bond. Um, it's probably my favourite, one of my favourite Bond movies, definitely. Um, but yeah, it's got like endless rewatchability, um, great score, great pacing, great editing, great sound, great direction. <laughs> um, a, a few dips in plotting here and there. I mean, there are kind of some some um, scenes where it drags slightly, but great performances all round. Um, and again, you're kind of it's it's ironic how perhaps the least Bond, continues to top the list of favourite Bond movies. So if you haven't seen this film, I urge you to go out and see it. It's fantastic. And if it does anything, at least it teaches you that you have red wine with red meat <laughs> and white <laughs> wine with fish. Oh, you're a Russian. With Bond, you learn how to be a food snob. <laughs> to be fair, that's probably how I learned that. <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's watching, it's watching from Russia with love. So there we are. As well, obviously, I don't eat meat, but I know anybody who drinks red wine with fish, you think, ah, oh, you're a Russian spy. <laughs> oh, you're not a vegetarian, are you? I'm one of those pesky pescatarian people, so I don't eat meat, but I eat fish. And there's probably some hardcore what? vegetarians going, you don't eat fish, blah, blah, blah. but oh well. It's... You, you know, you should you should try meat. It's nice. No, yeah, yeah I did. Good, I did used to eat it. It's just a good. Good burger would sort you right out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's a cheeky Merlo with uh, Burger King, by the way. <laughs> Actually, that's what that's one of the things I really like about uh, Kingsman is the, is is the oh. bit where they have the whole like yeah the whole oh, dinner scene, yeah, and it's, yeah, and it's like oh, a good choice. Can I just like uh, what was it? Was it Chateau with Twinkies or something? It's like good yeah, choice. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, but uh, yeah. You mentioned sound. Cues us in quite nicely to next week's podcast. Um, although these are sort of seen as we get into future years as kind of popcorn films, um, one of the very early films did take home the Academy Award. And was it for sound mixing or sound editing? I forget which, Becca, do you remember? Uh, mixing, I believe. Okay. Whichever it was, it was a gentleman called Norman Wonstall, who was one of the, the sort of company on these early films. And um, one of us, one of our. Uh, one of our preferred James Bond podcasts is James Bond Radio, 
which is available through Stitcher, iTunes, all the other places. And they did an interview in one of their earlier episodes with Normal Monstall. Uh, and if you're hearing this sort of ahead of, of, of hearing our Goldfinger podcast, we would urge you to listen to that before that comes along. Becky, you took a listen to it yourself as well, didn't you? I did. It's fascinating. He comes off as a complete stand-up pro, which, which he is. Mm. Um, but it's really interesting to learn about how they created some of the sounds and the sound effects. Mm. Um, and also his work with... Um, Mr. Ryder, who is who is known throughout the business as a really great sound guy, um, so yeah, I can I definitely second that and do give it a listen. It's well worth your time. Hmm. So next week the Bond films go absolutely stratospheric in popularity, and uh, I mean, <laughs> just to spoil it, this film takes eighty million. Next week, Goldfinger takes about one hundred and twenty-five. Twenty-five million. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it, it it really next week they go glo- they go global, and we've got the. Um, the final sort of bits of the, the the formula coming together. Well, yeah, like in nineteen sixty four, you've got Beatlemania and you've got Bondmania as well, haven't you? So. And two years later, you had the Adam West Batman. Oh god, <laughs> it was and all going Star on Trek. the sixties. And Star Trek. Those are those are the five well. things that are the sixties to me. And from Uncle. Oh, what else? All kinds going on. I'm talking. If you talk about global impact, well, no, you wouldn't even say Star Trek at that time. Mission Impossible. Might have no. flopped. Actually, yeah, if you talk about the biggest things in pop culture in the 60s, I would think you were thinking... Bond and the Beatles. Bond, Beatles, Batman. Batman, all the bees. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's next week, Becca. Okay, thanks for listening. You expect us to talk. We'll return with Goldfinger. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> we could all chime in and go... <laughs>